There's no question about the fact that life is fragile. We're reminded of how fragile life is in our day-to-day -day lives, obviously, as we see things change very dramatically in a person's health situation. We've all seen that. John Henderson had never spent a night in the hospital, he told me, before he went in for the surgery. Never spent a night in the hospital. And then facing an extremely serious situation, which we continue to pray will work out for his full recovery. But a very dramatic turn of events. And obviously we see and hear and experience the deaths of, of those at times who are close to us that occur suddenly and without any warning. Life is fragile. David of old on one occasion as he was fleeing from an insanely jealous Saul, the first king of Israel, made the statement to Saul's son, David's dear friend, Jonathan, there is but a step between me and death. He knew how close he was to death if Saul had his way, and he made that statement, a statement that has application and meaning to all of us. There is but a step between us and death. James in James chapter 4 points out that we need to say, the Lord willing, we will do this and that. James 4, beginning at verse 13, and that's part of what we'll be studying tonight, Lord willing, in our continuing study of James. That we ought to say, if the Lord wills, we don't arrogantly and boastfully make our plans without taking the Lord into consideration. Life is fragile indeed. But life also has a future, thanks be to God, it does. John 5, 28 and 29 reminds us, the hour is coming, Jesus said, when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Life has a future, but Jesus reminds us in the passage just quoted that that future is either going to be one of eternal bliss or one of eternal sorrow beyond description, depending upon what? How we live our lives now. Faith is the key. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, John writes in 1 John 5, verse 4, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Conquering faith, a faith that conquers. You've heard me mention in times past that there are only two ways to leave this world. One will either leave this world having been overcome by this world, or one will leave the world having overcome the world. And John tells us the key as to how we leave our faith. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Without faith it is impossible to please him, that is God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews 11 and verse 6. What about that conquering faith? The faith that conquers. It has some components about which I'd like to speak this morning. The components of conquering faith. That's the kind of faith we're interested in. The faith that conquers. The faith that will give us a future for all eternity, ultimately in heaven and not in an eternal hell for the wicked, prepared for the devil and his angels. What are the components of that conquering faith? The first is conviction. And the Bible reminds us that 
Conviction is a very critical component of conquering faith at Hebrews 11 and verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the what? Substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. The conviction, the conviction is involved here of things hoped for. The evidence or conviction is involved here. Substance, certainty, the conviction. We have a foundation. That's the word substance. It means that which literally stands under our hope. That's which, that which gives our hope a foundation upon which to truly have hope. You know, hope biblically defined is desire coupled with expectation. There are an awful lot of people who could say, I hope to go to heaven, and they are saying, in effect, I desire to go to heaven, but can you expect to go to heaven? Faith, faith, the right kind of faith, conquering faith, says yes. The faith that stands under, the conviction that stands under our true biblical hope, says yes, you can not only desire to go to heaven, you can expect to go to heaven. And that's the biblical definition of hope. Biblically defined, it is not just desire. I can desire a lot of things, and there are those who desire a lot of things, wish for a lot of things. What about expectation of those things? Do we truly, truly expect to have a lot of the things for which we might wish? Not really. But Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us we can expect to go to heaven. That's what hope is. It's desire along with the expectation. What is it that gives us that hope? It's that substance, that conviction, that which stands under our hope, which is what? Faith. Faith has as a component its conviction, a conviction, a certainty. I know there are those who try to tell those who are Christians that your faith is some wild leap in the dark. You're having to bridge vast chasms, as it were, of darkness in order to maintain a faith in, in God, a faith, a faith in the Bible, a faith in those things about which the Bible speaks. No, faith is not a leap in the dark. Evolution is a leap in the dark. <laughs> Evolution is a leap in the dark, obviously. False religion is a leap in the dark because it is not based upon the conviction that comes from the evidence that produces that conviction and produces that faith. Romans ten seventeen. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The Word of God produces a conviction that gives us a certainty about our hope, our desire, and our expectation. And with that comes a wonderful, wonderful peace. A peace that, as Paul describes it, surpasses all understanding. Faith, oh yes, it is based upon evidence. It is based upon evidence. Therefore, it's not a leap in the dark. It's not a leap in the dark. There's a certainty to it, a conviction based upon reliable evidence. Now, people can have faith based upon unreliable evidence, but that's not biblical faith. That's not conquering faith. We're talking about conquering faith. We're talking about the faith that truly conquers, overcomes the world. Not a faith in some false religion. Faith in a false system. Faith in something upon which we cannot rely. And our second component of conquering faith is, is confidence. 
we can have complete trust and reliance upon the conquering faith that is produced by the evidence about which we've just spoken. Complete trust and reliance. If you look at Ephesians chapter 3, there's a great text there where the Apostle Paul is talking about the the church here in this particular segment of the book of Ephesians exalts the church in so many ways, obviously, as the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the building of, of God, uh, the brotherhood uh, of believers. Beautiful treatise on, on the church. But in that third chapter of Ephesians, at verse 11, he speaks of the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. What was that purpose? To make known through the church, the manifold wisdom of God. That goes back one verse to verse 10. To the intent that now, now, the manifold wisdom of God might be what? Might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal, eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus or our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Christ Jesus our Lord. Now look at verse 12. He's still talking about Christ. In whom, that is in Christ, in whom we have what? In whom we have boldness and access with what? With confidence through what? Through faith in Him. We have confidence, boldness, that is, we can approach with confidence, with assurance, the throne of God through Jesus Christ because of what? Our faith in Him. We have boldness and access to the throne of God through Jesus Christ as a result of what? Our faith in Him. Where is your trust? Where is your reliance? Where is the trust and reliance of much of the world today? And where has it been throughout the lifetime of various ones? Well, our Lord Jesus Christ, as He lived among men, always had complete confidence and trust in the Heavenly Father. He expressed that trust through His words. He demonstrated that trust by His sinless life. And He expressed that trust time and time again. That He was never alone. He was never alone as long as He and the Father were together and they were always together in terms of the Father's always approving of Him and what He did. And He spoke not His own words, but... The words of the Father. In other words, there was complete harmony. There was complete trust. There was complete reliance as Jesus became flesh and dwelt among men. Both deity and humanity dwelling together and demonstrating complete trust and reliance. What were his last words? His last words as he hung upon that cross and bore the sins of mankind for all time alone as the Father, as it were, turned His back upon not the approval, didn't reject the Lord Jesus Christ, but looking away, as it were, from the sin that He bore and the pain that resulted in that kind of bearing of the sins of all mankind that we cannot fully appreciate nor contemplate. As deity bore the sins of all humanity, He cried out, My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? He bore the sins of mankind alone. But those weren't the only words he spoke from Calvary, were they? His final words consisted of two expressions. It is finished. 
And Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's an expression of complete confidence and trust. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Compare those last words of Jesus to the last words of P.T. Barnum. Remember Barnum and Barnum's great shows that people flocked to see? You know what his last words were? They were these. How were the receipts today at Madison Square Garden? How were the receipts today at Madison Square Garden? Those were his last words. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Quite a contrast. Where is our confidence? Where is our trust? Paul reminds us that we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Ephesians 3 and verse 12. And that confidence must be expressed by a faith that works, as we have often talked about, and about which James writes in James chapter 2, as we have already studied in our series in James, looking again at verses 19 through 24. You believe there is one God, he asked. You believe there's one God, he says. Well, you do well. In other words, as we pointed out in Bible class, that's like saying that's all well and good, but not good enough. You believe there's one God, you do well. The demons also believe and tremble. But will you not know, O vain man, he asks, but do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Then he goes on, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? And then he asked, do you see that faith was working with his works, together with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. That's quoting from Genesis 15, verse 6, as James quotes that passage. When was that faith made perfect? When he what? When he was ready to bring that knife down to slay his son, but God stopped him and said, Now I know. You see then, verse 24 of James 2 points out, you see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. As we've said before, James, I wish we did. I wish we did see it. But as a whole in this world, we do not see it and complete trust and reliance is misplaced and misapplied so that people work so hard to avoid works that they claim that I can have complete trust and reliance on the promises of God without ever completing my obedience in being buried in baptism for the remission of my sins, in being added to His church and laboring therein faithfully even unto death. They deny the, uh, the essentiality of that, while James, by inspiration, affirms it so clearly that he could actually write in verse 24, you see then how that by works... A man is justified and not by faith only. The only time faith only is used in Scripture, it has a not in front of it. And yet, the vast majority of those claiming to be Christians today don't see the not. They don't see the not. Complete trust and reliance, confidence, has to be based upon our willingness to express our trust through obedience. How often have we sung trust and obey? For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. The vast majority of the religious world would have to sing trust and trust 
for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and say. But it's trust and obey, not trust and say a prayer, but trust and obey the gospel. That's how faith manifests itself, conquering faith. But also there's comfort as a component of conquering faith. Oh, what comfort we have through that kind of faith, biblical faith. Matthew 5, 4, blessed are those who mourn. Jesus said, for they shall be comforted. That is, those who mourn over sin shall be comforted because those who truly mourn over sin and see the seriousness of sin will do what is necessary to get out of that sin. And once they've done that which is necessary to get out of that sin, then they can know that comfort. They can know that comfort that the early church had as expressed in Acts chapter 9 and verse 31. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified, built up, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. That's a description of the early church. Walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. How are we comforted today by the Holy Spirit? Not as some would contend in some better felt than told subjective experience. This is the source of the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I hold it in my hand. He comforts us through His Word. The Word that the Holy Spirit has delivered once for all is a source of comfort because it is the source of our faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is the revelator who has revealed that Word to us and provides that comfort. The Word has comfort. That's why Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 18 concluded that segment about about the misapprehension that some of the early Christians had about losing their loved ones in death before the Lord had come again. They thought that if he, uh, had not, since he had not come and their loved ones had died, even though they had died as Christians, they were going to lose their reward. He said, no. No, they're going to be raised when the Lord comes again. Then those who are alive together with them will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. And so or thus, in this way we shall always be with the Lord. And after making that explanation, he said, therefore, verse 18, comfort one another with these what words. Comfort one another with these words. Faith, faith based upon the word, produces comfort. Comfort to ourselves and comfort to others. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Great, great series of, of verses here about the comfort that faith can provide even to others. Paul writes to these Thessalonians. This is the first epistle that Paul wrote. He writes, therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. In other words, Paul said, I couldn't stand it any longer. I just had to send Timothy back to you to find out how you were doing after your conversion. That's how concerned he was. Then we go on with verse 3. That no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. For in fact we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened. And you know. In other words, don't let this tribulation shake your faith. 
Then verse 5. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and your labor might be in vain. Doesn't that say that one can fall from grace, incidentally? That's another one of those hundreds of passages, isn't it? But then he says, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. What a statement. We live if you stand fast. Paul said, I can live and I can gain such great comfort from knowing that you're standing fast in the Lord. Doesn't that say that the comfort that comes from faith is a source of comfort not only to ourselves and our own spirits, but also to others, to others. And that leads to our next component, really. Conquering faith is contagious. It's contagious. Stay in First Thessalonians. Go back to chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Paul there writes, And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. Faith. Contagious faith. In the second epistle to the Thessalonians, at chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. How was their faith seen? How was it known their faith was growing? By their actions and it was affecting others. Faith can be contagious. Listen to what Paul writes about that in Philippians chapter 1. Verses 12 through 14. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. He didn't want them to be discouraged about his being in prison at Rome. He says it's actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Then he goes on to explain it. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And listen to this. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Contagious faith. Contagious faith. But you know something? Lack of faith is also contagious. Lack of faith is contagious too, isn't it? Can you remember in the book of Numbers, the spies who were sent out to spy out the land of promise? The twelve spies among whom were Joshua and Caleb, and they were the only two that came back with a positive report and said, we can take this land. The other spies, the ten spies, said, we can't do it. There are giants in the land. There's no way we can do this. And the people listened to whom? The ten spies. Lack of faith. Lack of faith can have a negative impact on others. 
It had such an impact on that occasion that it cost the Israelites of that generation the promised land. And they were told for every day that the spies were in the land, 40 days, you're going to wander 40 years and your carcasses will fall in this wilderness. You will never enter the promised land because of a lack of faith. The lack of faith that began with 10 spies and spread to the whole nation of Israel virtually with few exceptions. And the 10 spies were killed immediately by a plague. It took 40 years for the Lord to finally destroy all the others. Lack of faith can be contagious. We need to keep that in mind as well, don't we? And the final point is, the final component, faith needs to be courageous. Needs to be courageous. In Deuteronomy 31 and verse 7, Moses, as he was about to hand the reins of leadership to Joshua, told him to be strong and of good courage. And once Joshua got those reins of leadership, God as he gave them to him, said, Be strong and of good courage. Joshua 1 and verse 7. Have the kind of faith that is courageous to the end, as was Paul's, who was able to say, I've fought a good fight, I've finished the course, I have kept the faith. By faith, I have kept the faith, the system of faith, and now I'm ready to be offered. Time of my departure is at hand. It is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me at that day, but not to me only, but to all them also who have what? Loved his appearing. Who are those who will love his appearing? Those who have conquered this world by a conquering faith. We've got to go forward by faith, which works to the end, following the footsteps of the Savior, and finally seeing him face to face. And hearing the words to the faithful, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many. Enter into the joys of your Lord. What will cause those words to be heard in our hearing personally? Conquering faith. What about yours this morning? If you haven't obeyed the gospel of Christ, your faith is still a faith perhaps that constitutes trust and nothing more. It's not trust and say, remember, it's trust and obey. There's no other way to be in Jesus, let alone happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Believe with all of your heart that Jesus is the Christ. Repent of your sins. Confess Him to be the Christ. Be buried with Him in baptism for the remission of sins. Those are the simple but absolutely essential steps of faith that lead to your being forgiven of sins, cleansed in the waters of baptism, not by the water but by the blood, and added thereto the body of Christ, added to it by the Lord himself. Believe that I am he or die in your sins, John 8, 24. Repent or perish, Luke 13, 3. Confess me and I'll confess you, Matthew 10, 32. And he who believes and is baptized will be saved, Mark 16, 16. How much clearer could it be? Has your faith led you to that point? If so, and you're here knowing that your faith has not continued to be the kind of conquering faith that it should have been and needs to be, we plead with you to do something about that. Publicly, if it needs to be corrected in a public way. Privately, if you can take care of any deficiency in your spiritual life privately. But we stand willing and ready to pray with you and for you to the God of heaven who will surely forgive if you truly Repent, 
so that once again, even though there is but a step between all of us and death, really, when we are to take that final step, we can take it by faith. The faith that overcomes the world. Will you come as we stand and sing?